Good morning. Starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath, that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Over this past uh, Christmas break, my children spent a lot of time learning sleight of hand or uh, card tricks. Uh, While in many of your homes, uh, your children were probably walking around and uh, wishing each other Merry Christmas, my children were walking around the house saying, pick a card, pick a card, any card, any card. And they would fan the cards out, and they would stand there waiting for you to pick a card. They were doing that as if they were standing on a street corner trying to draw a crowd with their little tip jar next to them. I couldn't go throughout my day without being asked, and I'm not exaggerating, I couldn't go throughout my day without being asked probably 15 to 20 times to pick a card. And it was my job then to be an awestruck participant in yet another magical display. Now, of course, to, and, I, and I thought, you know, you've got the Ringling Brothers, and so maybe we could have the Fantastic Five. I don't know, but, but I, I don't know if their future is in card tricks or not. But to be quite frank, many of, of the tricks, they really were pretty good. Uh, there was often a disconnect between what my eyes would see 
and what my brain was thinking because I knew what my eyes just saw, but my brain was, wasn't so sure, right? How could this be? I mean, I would, I would look and I would watch and I would see and my brain would say, there's no way. How did that just happen, right? All of the warning lights in my small brain, they were flashing with uncertainty and wonder as the final card of each trick was turned over and it was followed by amazement and me thinking to myself, that was pretty good. <laughs> in fact, if you want to, I've got the card tricks. If I, if I had really done a lot of preparation for this, they could have come and shown one of them to you, but you'll have to save that for later. Because this morning, as we rejoin our study this morning, what we find is we find the people there in Jerusalem, they are awestruck. In fact, they're asking similar questions. If you remember, as we've, as we've gone through here, Jesus there in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, he ascends to heaven. And the people are caught looking. <laughs> and the angel shows up and he says, why are you looking up into heaven? Right? The same one who, just, who, was, who ascended is, is coming again. And the encouragement then is to, get, to be about the business of, of telling people, of witnessing. And then last week we learned about the sending of the Holy Spirit. Again, they were awestruck. They're asking questions similar that I was asking my children, right? What did I just see? Really, is this true? In fact, we saw last week as we ended our sermon, last week they were asking questions like, what does all of this mean? Now that the Holy Spirit has come, and now that the 120 are speaking in all of these different languages, it's almost as if the, the reversal of the Tower of Babel has now taken place. They're wondering, what is going on? And of course, some of the people, they were just convinced, well, they've had too much wine. They're drunk already this morning. Well, this morning, through our study, uh, really, the, the big idea for our study this morning is that the certainty of Jesus as Messiah King gives us confidence in our witness. There's a certainty this morning that we're going to walk away with, a certainty that really answers that question, that answers that awestruck feeling of, of what does all of this mean? Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe that's a question that you're asking, too. Maybe... You've watched the church, you've watched believers from afar. Maybe you're even watching online this morning. And maybe you're curious. Maybe you're a curious onlooker. And a, an onlooker similar to like these people there in Jerusalem. And maybe you're asking questions. And right now there's an uncertainty. Do I really believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be? Well, this morning, my hope and my prayer is that we will leave not with the questions, but certainly there'll be questions for sure, but that, that, there will be with, with, that we will leave with a sense of certainty that Jesus indeed is the Messiah King. And if that being true, that as we grow in our certainty, that we will also grow in our confidence of our witness. So we look here at verse 14. Go ahead and join with me. I know Anne began reading in verse 22. I appreciate Anne doing that. That's exactly where she, where she was asked to begin reading. But we're going to start a little bit further back there in verse 14. Because what we find is, here in verse 14, we find Peter answering that question 
of what does all of this mean? And you'll see that question being asked by the people there in verse 12. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And so now what Peter does is Peter stands up and, and he wants to help answer that question. Others, some people chalked it up to drunkenness, but Peter now wants to give them a certainty. Peter assures the people that these, that these 120 are not drunk, for it's only 9 a.m. It's far too early in the day for a Jewish person to drink wine. And so in verse 14, Peter stands, he preaches, and he addresses the crowd. And, and I want you to, to think about how remarkable that in and of itself is because Peter, being the same man who only several weeks prior, he was filled with cowardice. He was filled with fear. Right? We, we remember, don't we, the account of how Peter denied knowing Jesus, the rooster crowed, and on, on that third time, Peter, he, he realized what he had just done. The same man who previously had denied Jesus three times, denying any association with Jesus, denying it to a just, a just a simple young girl, young lady, that even there in the midst of just this one individual, Peter is filled with cowardice. Now what we see is only a few weeks later, Peter is now filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's not just standing before one person. He's standing before a large crowd, a crowd that is numbering well into the, into the thousands, and he's unashamedly preaching a sermon on the resurrected Jesus Christ. Man, those words, Michael, that you led us in song, that as we face death, what are the words that we should be singing in our hearts? I wrote it down on the palm of my hand. I didn't want to forget it. That Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. That that should be the encouragement that helps us hold fast. And this is what Peter is doing. He is standing up and he is declaring. He is saying, Christ, he lives. And he's standing before this crowd of thousands. A crowd that no doubt within that very crowd, some of the very same ones who only weeks prior would have been shouting out, against Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They're now standing here in this crowd and they're hearing Peter's bold proclamation. <laughs> Boy, this is further evidence of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's power in Peter's life. Church, I don't know about you, but often we tend to underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? All right, we, we underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I hope verse 14 is an encouragement to each of us that Peter's story is often our story. That when we struggle with fear or cowardice, when we struggle with even denial, that in our witnessing, we can be reminded that God has given us his spirit to embolden us and to stiffen our souls in sharing our faith. And that we should regularly Ask God and say, God, would you fill me with the Spirit? I know that I have this coworker. I know that I have this family member. I know that I have this neighbor who doesn't know you, who hasn't heard the truth of the gospel. God, would you send your Spirit and help me to get past that fear of sharing my faith with them? 
Again, we do underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in a similar way that I underestimate the power of electricity, as we talked about last week. For those of you who are concerned, Phil came over and helped me with my electric this week. (laughs) But this morning, I guess as we even, as we are just now dipping our toe into this sermon, I guess my application, my encouragement for all of us is to be more intentional in sharing our faith in small ways, right? A lot of us would say, well, I, I, that's right. I'm not, I'm no evangelist. Well, you are, you are, we are called to be witnesses of what Christ has done for us. And you know, we're probably not going to stand on the street corner like Peter does here. Maybe God would embolden you to do that. I don't know. His spirit certainly could give you that ability and might call you to that. But, but the encouragement is for each of us to take, to take just small steps, little by little, in sharing our faith. We have these, Dan already, Pastor Dan already mentioned, right? We have these invitations in, in, our, in your bulletin. Those of you who got those bulletins, these invitations, man, they're printed on nice cardstock, right? They're well done. This is for you to give to your friends and your family members. This is an opportunity for you to grow in sharing your testimony. It's your opportunity to grow in evangelism and witnessing. We also have these other connect cards right here. Very easy, simple ways. I have been caught empty-handed with these too many times. (laughs) In fact, this week I was visiting Steve Dill, who, by the way, came home on Friday. Praise the Lord, right? I was visiting. Yeah, you can clap for that. And I got to witness his first meal since his stroke. Church, I have never sat in a hospital room and watched someone consume their hospital food with such excitement. I mean, it was a moment that I will never forget. And as, as, as Steve, like his green beans and his mashed potatoes and his chopped up, I think it's, it was chicken. Interesting, he, he took a bite and he said, mm, it tastes like chicken. I mean, that's very Steve Dillish, right? You know? And, and, and as he's doing that, he is inviting the gal. It was his speech therapist. He is, he is inviting her to church. Her name's Taylor. He's inviting her to church. And, of course, me being the, 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 right, the pastor in the room, I, w- I should have had one. I was caught empty. I didn't have one of these. And so I went home, and I quickly stocked up in my jacket and in my truck and in my vehicle. I stocked up on these because I thought that's, it's such an easy way. And here's the thing. Taylor, his speech therapist, can I tell you something? What was her response to, to Steve's invitation? She wasn't upset. She wasn't mean to him. She wasn't offended. She thanked him. And here's what she said. She said, you know what? My family, we used to go to a church around here, but we just got out of the habit. And maybe we'll come and visit sometime. I've got a feeling that you'll probably see Taylor. Now, don't tell her about that. I, well, you can tell her. I don't care. She won't, she won't mind. But, right, right, life is one sermon illustration waiting to happen, and you might be next. But I, I, I have a sense that Taylor very well might show up on a Sunday morning. And it was so easy. And we see here Peter, who, who, is turned, who he's, he's turned from being a coward, denying Jesus Christ, in front of just a, just a young lady, but, and now he's standing here and he's declaring what he knows to be true, that Christ, he lives 
Christ, he lives. And that's the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that dwells within each and every one of us here this morning. Well, let's let's look now and see uh, what Peter, the defense, how, how he is helping answer this question for them of, of what have we seen here, right? What does all of this mean? And Peter, what he helps them to understand is that what they have just witnessed is part of God's eternal plan of redemption. They're part of God's eternal plan of redemption. I told you last week you'll be getting a sermon on a sermon, and that's exactly what's happening. I'm giving you a sermon on Peter's sermon And this sermon is so rich that I hardly have enough time to even touch the tip of the iceberg. But we see these words of prophecy here that Peter brings to mind. These are words of prophecy from Joel, wherein their fulfillment is is part of the evidence in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit here on the day of Pentecost. Okay, we see Joel's words starting here in verses 17 and 18. And go ahead, and and I hope you have a copy of God's word open before you. But we see Joel's words here in verses 17 and 18. They foretell the events of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And the image here is that of a torrential downpour on a dry and a parched landscape. These are events that indicate to the believer that a new era has come. And one of the points being made by Joel is that God will be and is, an, and is now accessible and is going to direct his people. We see there in verse 17, again, these are, these are Joel's words, prophet Joel that Peter uses in his sermon. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will See visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Right, truly the reality of God pouring out his Holy Spirit, as I've mentioned already, it's one of those underestimated activities in, in our lives that God pours his spirit on us, and we, we are never the same again. It's through the Holy Spirit that God ignites this kingdom life in us, It's through the Holy Spirit that God drenches the hardness of our hearts, that he releases the floodgates of heaven into our hearts. And this is a tidal wave of God's presence that even the Hoover Dam is unable to hold back. Again, our understanding of this truth is far too small. I believe if we had a better grasp on this reality, we would find ourselves going to the wellspring of the Holy Spirit far more often than we do even speaking directly to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, give me confidence. Give me the courage. Help me to overcome my fear in sharing my faith. Then in verses 19 and 20, we see the Joel, he provides, we see the prophet Joel provides imagery serving as a signpost for judgment. All right, look there in your, in your Bibles. It says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into d- to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and the glorious day of the Lord. Right, the listeners that Peter is speaking to, they would have been very familiar with the promised day of judgment. Again, so, so what, we, what we get this sense is, is that God's plan of redemption, has, it has always been that the prophet Joel helps us to see that this new era is being ushered in through the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter and, and Joel, then 
Peter brings Joel into action here. Uh, he, he says he follows up the giving of the Holy Spirit by a reminder of the, de- of the coming day of judgment. Right? The listeners would have been familiar with the promised day of judgment. It's alongside the prophet Joel, the day of judgment is mentioned. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, one, one passage in particular is Zephaniah chapter 1, and you can read it later, but, but Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, Zephaniah begins in this way. He says, the great day of the Lord is near. It's near, and it's coming quickly. Zephaniah, Joel, and now Peter remind us that the day of judgment is coming soon. And I wonder, have you, have you, brother or sister in the Lord, taken time to consider the day of judgment? Have you thought of the weight of the heartache? Have you thought about the fear and the dread that will fill those who do not know Christ Jesus on that day? Peter, he's standing before the people and he's reminding them that the day of judgment is coming. And the very fact that the Spirit has been ushered in means that that day of judgment is coming even nearer than maybe you remembered, anticipated. We live in an age of escapism. We often try to relieve the burdens of reality through entertainment and distraction, don't we? We try to relieve this reality of Judgment Day coming through virtual reality and avatars. We, we fill our bodies with painkillers, our schedules with constant activity. We do all that we can do to avoid the inevitable. Sadly, far too often we tend to, we, we fail in living with eternity in mind. But we should. And Peter brings to mind, he says... That day of judgment is coming for everyone. For you and for me. And that will indeed be a dreadful day for those who have not trusted in Christ Jesus. But verse 21, have you read that far? Verse 20, I just got goosebumps. Verse 21 we see the reality of God's eternal plan of redemption. Because what does verse 21 tell us? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you ever ever maybe heard it through the grapevine that someone had a party and you weren't invited to it? Has that ever happened to you? Right? Maybe for some reason someone had a a big shindig and man, you would have enjoyed being there, but you didn't make the invitation list. Church, let me just tell you, here's the invitation list to this celebration, to this salvation. The invitation list is here. Everyone. All. All are invited To trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone is. 
And that's good news. That's, that, that's a reminder of God's eternal plan of redemption. Peter is declaring that the only way to be rescued from the con- coming judgment is to call on the name of the Lord to seek God for his salvation. He's helping us to see that the only adequate response to Jesus, to his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his now ascension, and is to believe that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah and that calling on his name leads us to salvation. And so Peter, again, he's, he's helping set the stage. Again, he's, he's answering that question, what does this mean? Peter says the Spirit has been given, fulfilling Joel's prophecy. You just witnessed Joel's prophecy of the Spirit being being doled out, being poured out on us. He then circles around and he says, judgment day is coming, but all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on and what does he do? He takes us then into Christ's resurrection. Peter, Peter provides an overview of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And this is where Anne picked up, and she began reading. Follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 22. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Right? This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible to de- for death to keep its hold on him. Church, you might want to underline, you might want to memorize that verse 24. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We see here in verse 22 that Peter refers to Jesus as being from Nazareth, right? At this point in history, Nazareth had a negative reputation. It was a city, uh, it was not a city that you would think of for raising up leaders or, or people of status or power. In fact, in John 1:46, Nathaniel asks Philip, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? The title Jesus of Nazareth emphasizes Jesus' humility, how Jesus left the glories of, of heaven to live in a small and un, unassuming Galilean village. Right? There would not have been any chance that any religious leader would have visited Nazareth in their search for the Messiah. But let's not forget that God's plans are always beyond our own plans, aren't they? That God's judgments are unsearchable, that God's paths are beyond tracing out. We should not lose heart when our plans fail, but instead we should trust in God's wisdom and his direction. We should be reminded that Jesus was from a lowly town. He was from the lowly town of Nazareth. And then Peter goes on and he shares how the miracles, the wonders, and the signs Jesus performed, they served as an unmistakable supernatural events which were carried out through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ's life. These events, they specifically revealed Jesus' character to us. They revealed his purposes and they provided a way of showing God's endorsement of Jesus as being the Messiah. Peter goes on and he helps us to see how even his death and resurrection were part of God's eternal plan. The events that are described were no accident. Peter says that God orchestrated all of these things to happen in exactly this way according to the counsel of his will. Verse 24 then provides us with some of the most victorious words 
at least in my mind, of all Scripture. That God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Why? Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death was unable to wrap itself around Jesus and hold him in the grave. One commentator shared that death can no more hold the Redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold the child in her body. (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus is undeniable evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the King of Kings. And keep in mind, that's the audience that Peter is speaking to. He's preaching to Jews who for all of their lives would have been seeking the Messiah, would have been searching him out, and they're asking this question, what do we make of all of this? And what Peter is saying, he is saying, there's a certainty here. What we have witnessed here, the coming of the Holy Spirit, fulfills prophecy. It's part of God's eternal plan. Many of you, Peter is saying, you saw the resurrected Jesus. There's a certainty in that. And if if Jesus rose again from the grave, then the answer is this, that he's got to be the Messiah, that he's got to be the King of Kings. For many in Peter's audience, they would have accepted the fact that Jesus worked wonders. But sadly, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Why? Because they executed him as a criminal. It, 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 was, it was beyond their comprehension to think that the Messiah would have been executed as a, as a criminal. And so it's then that Peter appeals to, to Psalm 16 that Pastor Dan brought to us earlier this morning in his prayer. Paul then brings in David, again, another word of prophecy here, how David prophesied about Jesus' resurrection, how it was all part of God's plans. It was laid out in Scripture hundreds of years prior to it happening. And it's in Psalm, it's in this Psalm that David speaks of the one who is greater than he is, the Messiah. And we read these verses And read them and listen to them with Jesus' resurrection in mind. David says, I saw the Lord always before me because he he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. This is speaking of God the Father's protection over Jesus. God's sovereign control. Then David goes on. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. We think of Christ's body, his flesh, able to face death without fear. Because he is filled with that confidence, the hope, the certainty that he will conquer death. And on the third day, rise again. David goes on, he says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. David is speaking of how Jesus will not be abandoned in the grave. His body will not experience the natural decay that a a dead body experiences over a period of time because Jesus was resurrected on the third day. And then David continues in this psalm. He says, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Jesus being delivered up from the grave, the cross became Jesus' triumphant trophy over death. Even for us, the pathway to life leads us through the cross. Let me say that again. The pathway to life leads us through the cross. We are instructed to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. But the only way a cross can be a pathway to life is if resurrection 
is on the other side. How can we take up our cross and follow Jesus if we don't have the certainty of Christ's resurrection and even our coming resurrection? And so then we look at verse 29. Go ahead and, and look there, right? David or Peter has just preached through. He's brought in again David's prophecy that is also fulfilled. Verse 29, he says, fellow, fellow, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confident that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is not here to this day. What Peter is pointing out is he's pointing out that, that Jesus, as the resurrected Messiah King, uh, he's, he, he's got to be the Messiah King because you can't go visit his grave, but you can go visit David's grave. In other words, what Peter is saying is that David's tomb has an address, right? David's tomb, it might even at this point in time, might even have had visiting hours, right? It may have been a destination that you would travel to. You might even be able to buy some souvenirs there at the souvenir shop. Who knows? But you can't, but, da, but Jesus' tomb, he is saying, Jesus' tomb does not have an address. And so he's looking at these words here from Psalm 16, and he's saying, these can't be about David. Can't, David's not writing about himself. He's writing about the one who's greater than he is, who's coming after him. And what Peter is saying is that's Jesus. He's writing about the Messiah. And then in verse 30, this is significant as Peter then shows Jesus as being the Messiah because he's, he's the only one who fulfills the promise of a king sitting forever on David's throne. What does he say there in verse 30? He says, but he was a prophet. Speaking of David, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Again, David knew that when God makes a promise, God keeps his promises. And God had made an oath to David, saying that one of his David's descendants would sit for all eternity on his throne. And it's through the resurrection that it became possible for Jesus to pour out the Holy Spirit, which served as a messianic activity. Jesus is the Messiah. He pours out the Spirit on his people. And the, the only way that Jesus could pour out his Spirit is if he indeed rose again from the grave, right? Jesus can't be alive and also pour out the Spirit at the same time. Only Jesus must be alive if the Spirit is poured out. That's what Peter's arguing here. And Peter goes on and he argues that because Jesus rose from the grave, he then poured out the Holy Spirit, fulfilling Joel's prophecy that can only lead us to one, to understand one thing, is that Jesus at this very moment is sitting on, that he's fulfilling that oath that God made to David, that, that one of his heirs would sit on the throne for all of eternity. Then that means as they watched Jesus ascend back into heaven, that Jesus is ascending to the throne, the eternal throne of God. And we then jump then to verse 36. And again, there's so much here, we're hardly dipping our toe in the deep end even. But in verse 36, Peter concludes his sermon with a convincing and a rather convicting statement. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. In other words, let all Israel have certainty of this truth that God has made this Jesus 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's answering the question that they had way back at the beginning, right after the spirit came. They're saying, what can this mean? Peter then walks them through. And he says, a living Jesus can only send a living spirit. You have seen this living spirit now dwell among you. He has fulfilled the Old Testament prophets that you have, some of you have memorized and hidden these words in your heart. Joel, Zephaniah, David himself. You, you, have, you have seen this come to fruition here. And that can only mean one thing, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we see in verses 37 through 41, the people's response. It says what, right? There in verse 37, we see that the people are, they are cut to the heart. It says in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so with many other words, Peter, he reminded, he, he warned them rather, and he pleaded with them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Church, I wonder what's your response to this reality? What is your response? There's a response that is demanded here. Will you believe? We're, we're going to dig, we'll, we'll dive deeper into this into these verses as far as repenting and, and baptism. We'll, dig, we'll, we'll dive deeper next week into that. But, but I do ask you that question. What is your response to this Jesus who has been presented by Peter, who's been presented to us this morning? Right? This, this Jesus who these believers, they, these, these people, they're all struck by it. And they're saying, what can this mean? And Peter clearly says that Jesus is the long-anticipated Messiah King. And these Jews, they quickly realize we just killed the Messiah. We hung him on a cross. The one that we had been looking after, that we had been longing for, for all of those years. We hung him on the cross and that's where the people, they're cut to their heart and they're like, what have we done now? But, oh, church, can we be reminded of what Jesus' words were there on the cross as he looked at the very ones who had just nailed him to that tree? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Church, there is such grace here, isn't there? There's so much grace and there's so much mercy. And this morning, I invite those of you who have never trusted in Jesus, the Messiah King. I invite you to cry out to him and to ask him to save you and to believe in his name this morning. And Joel and Peter remind us Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And today can be 
your day of salvation. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we join with Peter and we join with the others by serving as witnesses. And this week, my encouragement is that you would share this truth with your friends and your family. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, forgive us for uh, taking the power of the spirit for granted. God, I pray now that you, through your spirit, would, um, would change our hearts. God, that you would embolden our witness. And I pray particularly for those who are hearing maybe uh, this truth about Jesus for the first time presented in this way from Peter, or maybe they've heard it hundreds of times, but yet have yet to believe. God, I pray that today would be their, their day of salvation and that they would cry out to you. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.